Take your Bibles out and turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Oh, I don't even sound like I'm on now. Am I? Can y'all hear me? I have no monitor. Mark chapter 7. As long as you can hear me, that's good. <clears throat> Sermon number 19 on the Gospel of Mark. We've reached chapter 7. How many chapters in Mark? 16. We got a ways to go. All right. Mark 7, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they came upon the marketplace, they, when they come upon the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and held, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. They wash their couches. Zero res, or somebody comes and does that for me. <laughs> then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban. That is a gift to God. Then you, are no, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down. And many such things you do. That's not the only thing he says. You're doing a lot of things. Verse 14. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone that has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So I said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that what enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. 
For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to us now as we examine your word? May your Holy Spirit Illuminate our minds and guide us into truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. I want to make a statement which I think, with which I think you will agree. Are you ready for it? Here's the statement. It is absolutely impossible to become a Christian without a change of heart. Amen. Agree with that? Let me say it another way. If there has been no change of heart, there has been no conversion. Same, same story, right? Different chapter. You know what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So no one can truly trust Christ as Savior without it affecting their heart. Now, when I say heart, you know we're not talking about this muscle inside our chest that pumps our blood around. You know that, correct? We're talking about, we're going to look at that verse later, about the mind. So no one can truly trust Christ without affecting their heart. And neither can a Christian live a holy life without their heart being changed. So this passage we're looking at today raises the question of holiness of heart. That's what Jesus is talking about. And the Pharisees had a false concept of what holiness of heart was all about. To them, holiness was just mechanical. It was outward. It was a matter of keeping rules and uh, doing the things that you're supposed to do rather than a matter of the heart. And I want to say to you that many people today misunderstand holiness of heart as well. So Jesus burst the bubble of the Pharisees. He burst ours too, if that's the way we think. Because he shows this, that the old adage is true. How many have heard this? All that glitters ain't gold. Uh, that's true by what Jesus is teaching here. It's a matter of the heart, is what Jesus is saying. So I want to give you three points this morning on this passage. Here's the first one. The radical troublemakers. The radical troublemakers. That's the Pharisees, right? I mean, the Pharisees were always after Jesus. Did you notice that as you read the Gospels? I mean, they're always after Jesus. They're always trying to trip him up, trying to get him to say something he shouldn't say or do something he shouldn't do. Why were they always after Jesus? I mean, he was perfect. <laughs> Why were they always after him? You know why? He upset their apple cart. That's why. He didn't fall in line with their rules and regulations and traditions. And this is one of the more one more occasion where they confront Jesus about his nonconformity to their traditions. Notice verse 1. It says the Pharisees came to him from Jerusalem. Now where was Jesus when this takes place? Well, if you go back to verse 53 of chapter 6, it says he was in the land of Genesaret. 
You know where that is? Northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. You know how far that is from Jerusalem? Minimum of 70 miles. Now, they didn't have a car. They didn't have a bus. And they didn't have their own jet. How'd they get there? They walked. Maybe rode camels. Either way, slow. 70 miles. Here's what I want you to see. They came a long way. They traveled a long way to accuse Jesus of something. Uh, they, were, they were set on getting Jesus, is the point. And what did they find? What, is, what are they fussing about? Adultery? No. Theft? No. Murder? No. Not attending the synagogue? No. Jesus always went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Some moral failure? No. Their issue is hand-washing. Hand-washing. See, the Pharisees had a tradition of washing their hands before they ate. And that's not a bad thing to do, amen? We've probably all learned to do that more in the last year and a half than maybe we did before COVID, right? I mean, when I leave church, I either wash them or get some, right? I never used to do that. I go home, take my contacts out. I wash my hands because I've been fellowshipping with y'all. I got to wash off the fellowship, <laughs> right? Before I stick my finger in my eye, right? So washing hands is not a bad thing. Um, but that was their issue with Jesus, hand washing, hand washing. You see, their tradition said that they had to wash their hands in a very specific way. Uh, they had to hold out their hands cupped, water was washed over it, and they washed all the way to their elbow. I, I think about like a surgeon washes, you know, scrubbing before surgery. And they notice that the disciples are eating without washing their hands at all. Oh, my word, what are we going to do? So the Pharisees found fault, verse 2 tells us, and they questioned Jesus about it. Now look at their, look at their question in verse 5. The Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Notice, they didn't quote any scripture. They didn't say, Moses said, Thou shalt wash thy hands before thou eatest. No. What was their argument? What was their argument in verse 5? The tradition of... Of the fathers. How many have heard this? Tradition, tradition. See, see, that's, that's their problem. That's their problem, tradition. Here's the issue. The Pharisees were more concerned with clean hands than they were with a clean heart. Their religion had evolved to be based on customs and traditions rather than the word of God. It, it is amazing that these religious leaders had become so sidetracked by tradition that they no longer judged right or wrong by the word of God. But rather by the elders, they say. Do you know, do you know what the rabbis said? Look, look at this. The rabbis said, he who expounds the scriptures 
in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come. Wow. And the Mishnah, you know what the Mishnah is? That's a collection of their Jewish traditions. Here's what the Mishnah says. It is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict Scripture itself. Wow. I mean, let that sink in. It's worse to teach something contrary to what the elders and the rabbis say than it is to contradict Scripture. That's what they say. That's what they thought. <laughs> Do you know the Pharisees had over 600? Let's dispute how many, maybe 630, 35, 600 plus rules designed to regulate every part of life. Uh, and most of them, by the way, were man-made. They weren't things out of the Scripture. They were things they came up with. I mean, if you go, just research, Google it sometime, and find out some of the laws they had about, especially Sabbath day laws. I mean, you couldn't spit on sun on well Saturday. You can spit on the Sabbath. You know why? That would be considered cultivation because you're watering the soil. <laughs> so no baseball games on Sabbath days because you can't play baseball without spitting, right? Those are the kind of rules they had. So for a loyal Jew to disregard these rules would be sin in their eyes. So according to the elders, they said if you follow all our rules, all our traditions, then you are good and you are serving God. And we, we see that kind of stuff and we just go, ah, that's just crazy, man. How many would you say that's crazy? Well, before we criticize the Pharisees, Perhaps we should examine our own standards of holiness. We also may be guilty of replacing God's truth with man's traditions. I'm sure I've told you about the pastor who, a friend of mine, who was in a deacon's meeting. And they were talking about something, some decision in the church. And the pastor flipped over his Bible or something and and set it out on the middle of the table and said, well, here's what, what the Bible says about this, guys. And one of the deacons took the Constitution bylaws and threw it on top of the pastor's Bible and said, I don't care what the Bible says, this is what our Constitution bylaws say. About that time, you'd jump under the table if you know what you're right? See, far too many Christians are making the same kind of mistakes. We hold up these traditions against the Word of God. One man said it like this, Tradition is the living faith of those now dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of those still living. Traditions aren't bad necessarily, but traditionalism is a bad thing. So we need to be very careful that we don't let some Tradition replace God's truth. Now let's look secondly at the religious travesty in this passage. Look at verse 6. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. What did Jesus call them? 
hypocrites. I looked it up. I think there were 17 times in the Gospels Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites. Now, what is a hypocrite? We all know that term. We hear that term. We hear people say, well, I, I don't go to church because there's too many hypocrites. Well, hypocrite is really a theatrical term. It refers to someone who's a play actor, someone who's playing a part, playing a role. And in those days, you know what they did? They didn't have a different person for every role in a play. They would have different masks. that they would. One person might play three or four parts, and they would just change masks for whichever part they were playing. So when Jesus calls them hypocrites, he said, y'all just wearing masks. You're masking the real you. I read about a rather pompous church member who was teaching Sunday school to a class of boys. He was trying to emphasize the importance of Christian living. He asked them, why do people call me a Christian? Boys, why do people call me a Christian? After a moment's pause, one boy said, maybe it's because they don't know you too good. (laughs) That'll make you give up your Sunday school class, won't it? See, folks, it's not how you look and act on Sunday that matters. I mean, that does matter. But that's not what proves you're a Christian. Amen? It certainly doesn't prove you have holiness of heart. So Jesus calls them hypocrites because they had exchanged God's standard for their own. They had exchanged God's commands for their own opinions. And then Jesus demonstrates how they were doing this. Look at verses 9 through 13. He talks about the fifth commandment. He says they were breaking the fifth commandment. Anybody know what the fifth commandment is? If you're reading the Bible right there, you know what it is, right? Honor your father and mother. He says you're breaking the commandment. Well, how did they do that? Well, they, they, instead of helping their parents who may be in need financially, they would say, well, look, all, we've dedicated all of our wealth to God. Corbin is the word they used. just means it's a gift dedicated to God. So they would say, well, look, we can't give this money to you, mom and dad, because we've dedicated it to God. So to give it to you would be sinful. So see, see what they did is they found a loophole, and they made it a rule. If we just dedicate our wealth to God, we don't have to give it to our parents. They'll have to suffer on their own. And, and, and here's, the, here's the deal. They still got to use their wealth because they were in the service of God. And so they used their wealth for themselves while claiming that they loved God, they showed that they didn't really love God because they weren't keeping God's command to honor your father and mother. That's a religious travesty. Would you agree? To find a way around God's command to do what we want to do. People do that all the time. Would you agree? Would you agree? We do it all the time. For instance, Um, the Bible says, bring all the tithes, where? Into the store. What's the storehouse? That's the church. That's where you're being fed spiritually. That's your church, right? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. But there are plenty of 
Christians who, and I've talked to many of them who, who say this, well, I give money to the United Way, or I give money to the Red Cross, or I support Billy Graham Evangelist Association, or I give to this, or I give to that. I, I give $19 a month to the ASPCA. So I don't, uh, so I take my, they, see, and they say, well, I'm tithing. I'm taking my tithe, and I'm spreading it around. Well, folks, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says bring all your tithes in the storehouse. Now, it's not wrong to support other or good organizations, worthy organizations. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not your tithe. That's not where your tithe is supposed to go. Your tithe is supposed to come to the storehouse. If you want to support those things, do that outside, above and beyond the tithe. Amen? So, it's a religious travesty when we when we start finding ways around what God says to make ourselves feel good about not doing what God says. <laughs> All right, let's look at the real truth. Point number three. Verse 14. So he's, he's finished in verse 13 talking with the Pharisees. He, he turns to the multitude and he says, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There, there's nothing that enters man from the outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. I think this is what happened. Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He says, okay, I've told you all what I think. Now he turns to the crowd and says, now, let me, let me explain this all to you. So basically Jesus tells them that the danger of defilement is not from the outside. Remember, he's talking about Washing of hands, because that's what the Pharisees were fussing about. Just because you, if you have dirty hands, that doesn't defile your heart. If you eat with dirty hands, that's not going to defile your heart. Hey, when I was growing up, I don't know how anybody else did this, I used to eat dirt out of my mother's flower pot. I don't know why I did that. There was food in the house. But I did. I'm like, ooh, this is good. How many of y'all like beets, by the way? Huh? Beets taste like dirt, so if you eat beets, you're eating dirt. Am I right? Do, do, don't beets taste like dirt? My wife loves beets. I'm like, well, I used to eat dirt too. But I don't like beets. I mean, they're red, and they look really good, and you taste them, and you go, Whoa. Pickle, that's even worse. Pickle dirt. <laughs> so Jesus says, look, defilement doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside. Um, if a man's heart is unclean, he's defiled. It doesn't matter how clean his outside is, how, how much he washes his hands. Do you remember when Samuel was going, Saul had sinned, and God says, okay, Saul's not going to be king anymore. I'm going to raise up a new king. And he says Samuel to Jesse's house. Remember the story? 1 Samuel chapter 16. So he goes to Samuel's house, and, or Jesse's house, and Jesse starts bringing out the boys. First one comes out, his name is Eliab. He's the oldest. 
And he comes out and stands before Samuel, and Samuel looks at him. Here's what it says in chapter 16, verse 6 of 1 Samuel. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He's tall, he's big, he's handsome. He's the oldest son. Surely this is the new king. And in the next verse, this is what the Lord says to Samuel, verse 7. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's true, isn't it? It's true. That's what we do, don't we? We look at the outward appearance. Have you ever judged someone solely based on their outward appearance? I heard about a pastor who was coming to preach his trial sermon. And so a couple of weeks before the trial sermon, he didn't shave. On that Sunday morning, he was to come to this church to preach his trial sermon. He wore ratty old clothes, didn't shave, didn't comb his hair, didn't take a bath, shower. And he sat on the front steps of the church as people were coming in and people were like we do. Hello? Don't get holy on me now. <laughs> and then after all the people came in, he came in and tried to sit down and people would say, no, you can't sit here. This is my seat. Or, no, 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 don't sit here. I, I'm, I, that's reserved. And nobody knew he, was, knew he was doing this. And finally, the chairman of the search committee stood up and he said, well, the, the prospective pastor was supposed to be here today to preach his trial sermon. We don't know where he is. At that point, the pastor to be voted on stood up, walked to the pulpit, and said, I don't want to be pastor of this church because of the way y'all treated me this morning. We do it, don't we? we? We see somebody with long hair, beard, tattoos. I mean, that's a big one today, right? You see somebody all tattooed all over and you go, man. Right? Am I right? Don't we do it? Don't we prejudge them? They might be the best, most wonderful, sweetest, gentlest, loving person you've ever met, and you prejudge them because they've had tattoos or they've got long hair or the way they're dressed, or whatever it is. So don't get holy, Joe, on me now. Because we do it. Am I right? All of us do. At some time or another, all of us prejudge somebody based on their outward appearance. So God says, look, that, that, that's not the way you're supposed to judge. You, I look at the heart, God says. I don't look at the outward Appearance. Outward appearances really mean very little, am I right? When it comes down to it. And we know that Jesus is speaking of the Pharisees here because those are the guys he's pointing the finger at. Say, see, these guys are all nice and clean, duded up, man, ready to go to church. But they're dirty on the inside. So he go then he ends talking to the people and and then he goes in, verse 17, he, he goes, gets away from the crowd, he gets his disciples in the house, and, and he begins to explain to them because 
they're, they're dumbfounded again as they usually were. <laughs> like, Jesus, what, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, in verse 18, are you thus without understanding also? Are you so dumb? You don't get this either? What's Jesus saying? He's saying that spiritual defilement lies within the heart. And when the heart is defiled, guess what happens? Evil results. Anybody ever heard of Warren Wearsby? written some very good commentaries, a lot of good stuff. Warren Wiersbe said this, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. So true. So in other words, the evil or the sin that someone practices does not defile them. It simply reveals that their heart is already defiled. That's why they do what they do. Here's some scripture to back that up. Proverbs 27, 19. As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. How about this one, Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinks in his heart, that's what I told you, you don't think with this, you think with this. So when we're talking about the heart, we're talking about our thought, our mind. As a man thinks in his mind, so is he. So if we boil all that down, here's what it means. What's in our heart is what we really are. What's in our heart is what we really are. No matter what kind of mask we wear, no matter how much we dress up for church on Sunday, listen, Conforming to a set of rules does not make you holy. Amen. Having a new heart makes you holy. I grew up in a church. I've told you about the church I grew up in many times. They were a part of what was considered a holiness denomination, free Methodist. They taught a lot about holiness. In fact, they taught more about holiness than they did about salvation. And you know the problem with that is? You start trying to make people holy without them ever being saved. And you know how you make somebody holy without them being saved? Rules and regulations. You got to dress a certain way, comb your hair a certain way, don't wear, this was what I, where I grew up, don't wear makeup, no lipstick, no jewelry. Don't be gaudy was their term. Don't wear makeup. I say if the barn needs painted, paint it. <laughs> Amen? Well, that's what I grew up in. What were they doing? They're trying to make you go by all these rules and regulations saying, oh, you're a holy man, you're a holy woman because you don't, you dress the right way, you comb your hair the right way, you don't wear makeup, you, all that stuff. That has nothing to do with your heart. It doesn't make you holy. It puts a mask on your defilement. Here's what Ezekiel chapter 11 
Verse 19, 20 says, Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them. Do you see it? It's a new heart that causes us to walk in God's statutes and keep his judgments and do them. It's not rules that do that. It's a new heart. It's not because we have a religious Gestapo like the Pharisees going around making sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and not doing what you're supposed to not be doing. That's not what makes you holy. What makes you holy is a new heart. Changed. New. Look at this verse, Philippians 2.13, out of the New Living Translation. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. I love that verse. You know why? God is working in and through our new heart that we got when? When we got saved. He's working through our new heart to give us not only the desire to do what pleases him, but the power to do what pleases him. Where does that come from? Our new heart. Our new thinking, our new mind. Has to be changed. Retrained, reprogrammed. Right? Remember what Paul said in Rome? Rome I don't have this on there, but I just thought about it. Oh, I didn't think about it. The Holy Spirit told me about it. Romans chapter 12. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 12? About your mind? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? That's the, that's the reprogramming book. Lee, you're a programmer, right? Develop software. You got a programming book? Yeah. What do they say about computers? Junk in? Junk out? Right? So we got to be reprogrammed. Our mind has to be renewed. Our mind has to be changed. We get a new heart that begins that process. But then it, you can't stop there. You say, well, I'm safe, man. I've been reprogrammed. No, not completely. You've been given a clean hard drive. All right? Now you got to get the, the good stuff in there. Right? Right, right. Right, Pastor? That's good preaching, Pastor. I like it. <laughs> so God works in our new heart and gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Can I tell you something? All the rules and regulations in the world can't do that. You, you can have a list of rules and regulations, and that will never cause you to have a desire to do what pleases God. It will only give you a desire to try to keep the rules. Which, by the way, you will never do perfectly. That's what we've been studying on Wednesday nights about in Galatians. Because the Galatians were being told by the Judaizers, look, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go by our rules. You gotta go by the law. You can't just say I have faith in Jesus. You gotta go by the law. 
And Paul's saying, no, no, no. The law was given to show us we need Christ because we can't keep the law. We can't do it perfectly. And by the way, the only passing grade in keeping the law is perfection. Not 99%. I kept God. I kept the rules 99% of the time. Flunk. You're out. God didn't give the law so that we can keep it. He gave the law to teach us we couldn't keep it. That's what he says in Galatians chapter 3. He gave the law as a tutor. A schoolmaster to teach us, hey, you can't keep all these rules perfectly. Now, you might keep some of them. You might keep some of them all the time. But you're not going to keep all of them all the time. Amen? So the law was given just to show us clearly you can't do it. So your only hope is Jesus. Because he's the only one that did it perfectly. So all the rules and traditions in the world cannot change your heart. Only Jesus can do that. So here's the, here's the, here's the question. Do you have a new heart? Do we still sin? Christians still sin? Huh? Huh? Are you kidding me? We still sin. How can that be if we have a new heart? We still, we're still dealing with the flesh. The sin. Sin, sin, sin. The devil's after us all the time. Well, not specifically the devil, but one of his minions. Right? So we've got to have a new heart that causes us to want to obey God. Here's what I want to say. Even when we sin, now you confirm for me if this is true in your life. When you sin, if you're really saved, immediately, pretty much immediately, your spirit checks you. And the Holy Spirit checks you and says, uh, uh. Now, we may not go to God and confess it right at that moment. It may take us a while. But immediately we, we go, because why? Because remember what we read in Philippians 2.13? He gives us the desire to do what pleases Him. Our desire for truly saved is to always please God. Now, we won't always do it. Amen? Amen. And when we don't do it, God says, I told you about my dog, Callie. She's a good dog. If she doesn't go to heaven, ain't no, no, no dog's going to heaven, I'm telling you. Here, I, I have to play the Holy Spirit in her life. Because sometimes she'll go to do something outside. My, she might, you know, start wandering off, go somewhere. And I go, she'll, I see her going, I go, even if she's running like a bit of squirrel or something, you know, she loves chasing squirrel. Sometimes she's gone across the road. I see her going, ha, ha, ha. And Kelly go, 
and she comes back. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. When we go chasing a squirrel, sin, the Holy Spirit says, hey, hey, and we go, huh, what? That's in the Bible. Did you know that's in the Bible? You will hear a voice behind you when you turn to the right or to the left saying, uh-uh, this is the way, walk in it. Who's that voice behind you? That's the Holy Spirit of God saying, no, no. Now, notice he recognized the fact sometimes we get off trail. Sometimes we chase squirrels. Sometimes we go to the right, sometimes we go, and the Holy Spirit immediately says, no. Back over. This is the way. Because God gives us that desire. We want to do what pleases him. But we've got to have a new heart. Where do we get a new heart? From Jesus Christ. When we place our faith and our trust in him, he, he saves us. He gives us a new heart. He takes out that stony heart and he puts in a heart of flesh. Now, that, that heart of flesh isn't like a, what we normally think about, a bad flesh kind of thing. That's a flat flesh, speaking of moldable, soft, not hard, hardened by sin, but soft and moldable so that the Holy Spirit can mold it. That's what he's talking about. Now, here's the question. Do you have a new heart? Have you received a new heart? Do you have a heart that desires to please God? Or is your desire just to look good to everybody else? Like the Pharisees. If you don't have a, a, a heart that, that gives you a desire to please God, I want to tell you something. You need a new heart. If that check doesn't come in your spirit when you sin, you need a new heart. You may be keeping all the rules best you can. You may be going by all the traditions of the elders. But it's what's on the inside that matters. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Musicians, come. With your heads bowed and eyes closed. How many of you would say today, Pastor, I've got a new heart. I can tell you when Jesus came into my life, he exchanged my stony heart with a soft heart. And I have a desire to want to do what pleases God. I fail them many times. I, I chase squirrels quite a bit. But I still have that desire, and I hear that voice behind me saying, no, 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 this is the way. Walk in. How many of you say, Pastor, that's true in my life. Raise your hand. Put it up. Put it up. I know that. I experienced that. Amen. Put them down. Now, if you, if you don't experience that, I'm not judging you. I'm saying, look, you've you got to examine yourself and say, okay, if that's not true for me, why not? Maybe I don't really have a new heart. Maybe I've never truly been saved. Maybe I'm just going through the motions like the Pharisees. 
Don't let that happen to you. Get a new heart. I'd love to talk to you about that today. You can come during our invitation. We're going we're to sing, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. That's, that's where it's got to begin. Maybe God's speaking to you about joining Hope Fellowship. I don't know. Maybe you just want to come and have prayer. Whatever it is, come to the altar and pray. Whatever it is. Father, help us in these moments of invitation to hear your voice, to respond to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.